Chapter 8 The Little Colonel's Chum, Mary Ware by Annie Fellows Johnston. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Christina Maria Went. Chapter 8 Christmas Day at Eugenia's. Although this is only the 24th of December, my Christmas has already begun, wrote Mary in her diary next day for this morning when i looked out of the window everything was white with snow it has been so long since i have seen such a sight all the roofs and chimney-tops had glisten that i could hardly keep away from the window long enough to dress phil stayed quite late last night just as he was leaving mrs boyd and miss lucy came home and of course we had to stay up a little while longer to meet them by the time joyce had turned the davenport in the studio into a bed for me it was past midnight and i couldn't go to sleep for hours there was so much to think about. The next thing I knew I smelled coffee, and heard Joyce whistling, just as she used to at home when she was getting breakfast, and I didn't waste many minutes in going out to her in that cunning kitchenette. It was all white tiling and shining nickel plate, as easy to keep clean as a china dish, and just a delight to work in. I never thought so before, but now it seems to me that it is just as nice to know how to serve a delicious meal, as easily as Joyce does, as it is to put a picture on a canvas. I can see now what a good thing it was for both of us that we had to serve such a long apprenticeship in work and housekeeping, even if it did seem hard at the time. It gives a girl a sort of Midas touch, Phil said last night. Makes her able to gild even a garret and to turn any old place into a home. He was so charmed with everything about the flat that he said he wanted to move into one right away and make biscuits himself on the glass top table and do stunts with the fireless cooker like Joyce. He has had a surfeit of cafes and hotels and boarding houses. While we were at breakfast, the postman came, and there were letters and packages for everybody. Lloyd sent a present to each of us. Mine was a darling little lace fan all spangled, like a cobweb with dewdrops caught in its meshes. We opened everything then and there, as we had already had part of our presents. Jack's to me was this holiday trip, and Mama's was the shirtwaist that I traveled in from Washington. Joyce got a check that she hadn't expected before next month, and another one that she hadn't expected at all. It was from some initial letter sketches and tailpieces that had been traveling around to different magazines for months. Besides, there was an order for a frontispiece for a child's magazine. She was so happy she could hardly finish her breakfast, and said now she could give me the present she had planned to give me in the beginning. She had been disappointed about some other work she had counted on, and thought she would have to cut my present down to some gloves in a book, but now she could play Santa Claus in fine style, and carry out her original intention, just as soon as things were in order. She would take me down and let me choose it. It was so exciting, not knowing what it was going to be, and hurrying along with the crowds of shoppers, everybody so smiling and happy and good-natured, no matter how much they were bumped into. I felt Christmassy down to my fingertips although they were nearly frozen. Last night's cold snow was almost a blizzard, and it left it stinging cold. At last, after buying a lot of little things to put on the tree at Eugenia's, and keeping me guessing for over an hour about my present, Joyce took us into a furrier's and bought me a beautiful set of furs, a lovely long boa, and a muff like the one Lloyd had her picture taken in the first year she was at Warwick Hall. I've always wanted furs like them, they looked so opulent and luxurious, and maybe I wasn't proud and happy when I saw myself in the mirror. They just make my costume, and they made a world of difference in my comfort when we went out into the icy air again. I certainly would have squealed if I hadn't remembered that we were on Broadway. 
when Joyce told me that I looked so stunning that she could not keep her eyes off me. I just knew how happy it made her to be able to give me a present, for I remembered what pleasure I had in sending Jack the watch fob that I had earned all myself. Then we went to Wanamaker's, and by that time it was so late she said we'd better go upstairs and take lunch there. There wouldn't be time to go home and prepare it ourselves. There was music playing, and it was so gay and lively that I kept getting more and more excited every moment. Finally, while we were waiting for our orders to be filled, Betty said, It is so festive, I believe I'll give Mary my present now, instead of waiting till we get to Eugenia's. Then she took a jeweler's box from her shopping bag, and lo and behold, when I opened it, the little bloodstone ring that I had been longing for all these weeks. I was so happy and nearly cried. After lunch, we came back to the flat to get our suitcases. Joyce is packing hers now. In just a few minutes, she will be ready, and then we will turn the key in the door and be off for Eugenia's. Mrs. Boyd and Miss Lucy have gone to Brooklyn to spend Christmas, and Miss Henrietta is away on a month's vacation. The suburban train was crowded when the girls reached it. Even the aisles were full of bundle-laden passengers until the first few stations were passed. Then Betty and Joyce found seats together, and a fat old lady good-naturedly drew herself up as far as possible in order that Mary might squeeze past her to the vacant seat next to the window. "'I can't sit there myself on account of the cold coming in the cracks, so she wheezed apologetically. "'But young people don't feel draughts, and anyway, you can put your muff up between you and it if you do. Mary has a traveling companion after her own heart.' laughed Joyce to Betty, as they watched the old lady's bonnet bobbing an energetic accompaniment to her remarks. She's always picking up acquaintances on the train. She can get more enjoyment out of a day's railroad journey than some people get in a trip around the world. It is the same way at school, answered Betty. You have no idea how popular she is, just because she's interested in everybody in that sweet, friendly way. They went on to talk of other things, so absorbed in their own conversation, that they thought no more about Mary's. So they did not see that presently she turned away from her garrulous companion, and wrapped in her own thoughts at gazing at the flying landscape. It was not at the snowy field she was smiling, with that happy light in her eyes, nor at the gleaming river. She was only dimly conscious of them, and forgotten entirely that it was the famous Hudson whose shoreline they were following. For once she was finding her own thoughts more interesting than the conversation of the unexplored stranger, although the old lady had taken her generously into her confidence during those first quarter of an hour. Indeed, it was one of those very confidences which had sent Mary off into her reverie. I tell Silas that no one ever does Christmas just right till they get to be grandparents like us, and have the children bringing their children home to hang up their stockings in the old chimney corner. Appeared like that first Christmas that Silas and me spent together in our own house couldn't be happier. But it didn't hold a candle to them that came afterwards, when there was little Cy and Emmy and Joe to buy toys for. Silas says we get a triple extract out of the day now, because we not only have our enjoyment of it, but what we get watching our children enjoy watching their children's fun. She reached forward with some difficulty and extracted a toy from the covered basket on the floor, at her feet. A wooden monkey on a stick. I'm just looking forward to seeing Pa's face when he drops that into Joe's baby's little sock. Her own kindly old face was as sturdy as she slid the grotesque monkey up and down the rod, chuckling in pleased anticipation. And Mary, with her readiness to put herself in another's place, smiled with her, sharing sympathetically the anticipation of her return. Straightway in her imagination, 
she herself was a grandmother going home to some adoring old silas who had shared her joys and troubles for over half a century up to this moment she had been thinking that it could not be possible for anyone to have a happier christmas than she was having a dozen times she had smoothed the soft fur of her bower with a caressing hand and slipped back her glove to delight her eyes with the sight of her bloodstone ring while her thoughts ran on ahead to the house party towards which they were speeding but the old lady's words had opened up a vista that sent her to daydreaming if by the road or by the hill or by the far seaway he should really come some day then of course the christmases they would spend together would be happier than this jack had always said that she would have her innings when she was a grandmother all her life mary had been dreaming romances about other people now in a vague sweet way those dreams began to center around herself it was almost dark when they left the train phil was at the station to meet them with the sleigh and a team of spirited black horses oh sleigh bells sighed joyce ecstatically as she climbed into the back seat beside betty i haven't been behind any since i left plainsville i wish we had forty miles to go nothing makes me feel so larky as the sound of sleigh bells phil glanced back over his shoulder it is a bare mile and a half to the house but i told eugenie i'd bring you home the roundabout way to make the drive longer if you were all not cold what do you say the long way by all means cried joyce and betty in the same breath phil laughed the eyes have it even mary's eyes even though she doesn't say anything he added seeing the beaming smile that crossed her face at the prospect of a longer drive they are shining like two stars he went on mischievously amused to see the color flame up into her cheeks and noticing how becoming it was then his meddlesome horses claimed their, his attention for a while later as he looked back from time to time in conversation with older girls his gaze rested on mary sitting beside him as contented and happy as a kitten in those becoming furs and he thought with satisfaction that the little vicar was growing up to be a pretty girl after all her eyes were positively starry under her long curling lashes that eugenia regarded their coming as a great event they felt from the moment the sleigh drew up to the house from every window streamed a welcoming light and the front door flung open at their approach showed the wide reception hall had been transformed into a bower of christmas greens eugenia radiant in her most becoming dinner ground of holly red came running down the steps to meet them ever since she had been established as a mistress of this beautiful country place she had longed for them to visit her guests she had in plenty for young dr tremont and his wife were noted for their lavish hospitality but the welcome accorded her new friends and neighbors was nothing to the ones reserved for those old friends of her girlhood she had wanted them to see for themselves that she had made no mistake in her weaving and that marriage had indeed brought her the diamond leaf that abdallah found only in paradise patricia has just dropped asleep she told them as she led the way upstairs not that it was proper time but she was always doing unexpected things that very day she had surprised them with four new words which they had not dreamed she could say elliot had orders to bring her in the moment she had awakened so they could soon see the most remarkable child in the world yes elliot was still with her good old elliot she intended to keep her always not as a maid however she had earned the position of guardian angel to patricia by all her years of devoted service and she played her part to perfection while the girls opened their suitcases and changed their dresses to costumes more suitable for the evening eugenia stood in the door between the two rooms turning first one way and then the other to answer the questions rapidly propounded 
Mary, thankful that her white pongee had not wrinkled, divided her attention between the donning of that and the information that Eugenia was imparting. She had named the baby for Stuart's great-aunt Patricia, who for so many years had been like a mother to the boys and Elsie. She felt that she owed the dear prim old lady that much as a sort of reparation for all she had suffered at the hands of the boys whom she had loved so dearly in spite of her inability to understand them. Father Tremont had been so touched and pleased when she had proposed it. No, he could not be with them this Christmas. He had taken Elsie to the south of France. She was not very strong. Yes, Phil approved of her choice of names, but he said just as soon as she was old enough he intended to buy her a monkey and name it Dago, so there would be one Patricia who was not afraid of such a pet. Mary, who had watched with keen interest the unwrapping of the dozens of beautiful wedding gifts at the Locusts, took a peculiar pleasure in looking around for them now and recognizing them among the handsome furnishings of the different rooms. Heretofore, the Locusts had been her ideal of all that a home should be, but this far surpassed anything she'd ever seen in luxurious fittings. As the girls followed their hostess over the house with admiring exclamations for each room, Mary thought with inward amusement of the cold shivers she had had, had as she stood with the bridal party between the rose gate and the flower-crowned altar listening to the solemn vow, I, Eugenia, take thee, Stuart, for better, for worse. There had been no worse. It was all better, infinitely better, and the shivers had been entirely unnecessary. Stuart came in presently from a long round of professional visits. The young doctor had nearly as large a practice as his father, and had been writing all afternoon. Mary caught a glimpse of his meeting with Eugenia in the hall, and when he came in, cordial as a boy in his welcome, and by numberless little curtsies showing himself the most considerate of hosts and husbands, she thought again, this is one time that it was certainly all for better. Where is Pat's pill? he asked, looking around for Phil. That is Patricia's name for him, as near as she can say it. Wouldn't you know that she was a doctor's daughter, by giving her doting uncle a pill for a name? Phil and Mr. Forbes came together. To Betty, one of the pleasantest parts of her visit was this meeting with Cousin Carl, who had added such vistas of delight to her life by taking her to Europe the year she was threatened to, with blindness. His hair was grayer now than then, and the years had added a few lines to his kind face, but he was not nearly so grave. His smile oftener, and she noticed with satisfaction his evident pride in Eugenia since she had blossomed to such a happy, enthusiastic housewife, and his devotion to little Patricia, when she was brought in for a while just after dinner. She was a fascinating little creature, all smiles and dimples and croquettish shrugs. As she held royal court the few moments she was allowed to monopolize the attention of the company. It was her second Christmas Eve, and she had been brought down for the first public ceremony of hanging her stockings in the great chimney corner. Even after she was carried away, it was plain to see how the interest of the house centered around her. There was a tender glow in Eugenia's eyes every time she looked at that tiny white stocking hanging from the holly-wreathed mantle, and it was also plain to be seen that the little stocking gave a deeper meaning to the words carved underneath. To everyone gathered around the fire, east or west, home is best. When the trimming of the great tree in the library began, it was found that each member of the household had brought her enough toys to stock a show window. There's really too much for one kid, said Phil gravely, surveying his own lavish contributions. What can she do with them when it's all over? Eugenia glanced from the long row of dolls she was counting to the assortment of stuffed animals she and toys already weighing the tinsel-decked branches. She shall keep them only a day. 
I have made up my mind that she shall not grow up to be a selfish child that I was before Betty came along with her Tatala story and her road to the loving heart. She is to begin to build one now, even before she is old enough to understand. This is her first Christmas tree. Tomorrow she shall choose one gift from each person's assortment of offerings. Tomorrow night the tree and all the rest of the presents are to be turned over to the little orphans of St. Boniface's Refuge. Daddy's name for her is Blessing, explained Stuart. So you can see she is in a fair way to be trained up to fit it. Since the tree was for children only, no gifts for the older people appeared among its branches. But in the night, some silent-footed Kris Kringle made its stealthy rounds and left a gay little red and white stocking by every bedside. Mary discovered hers early in the morning, after the maid had been in to turn on the heat in the radiator and close the windows. She wondered how it could have been placed there without her knowledge, for the slightest motion of the tiny bells on heel and toe a jingling. She touched it several times just to start the silvery tinkle. Then, sitting up in the bed, emptied its treasures out on the counterpane and was filled with bonbons and many inexpensive trifles, but down in the toe was a little gold thimble from Patricia. It was in the chair under the stocking that she found the gloves from Eugenia, the book from Cousin Carl, and a long box that she opened with breathless interest because Phil's card lay atop. On it was scribbled, The best man's wishes for a Merry Christmas to Mary. Tearing off the ribbons and the tissue paper wrapping, she lifted the lid and then drew a long, rapturous breath, explaining, Roses! American Beauty roses! The first flowers a man ever sent me, and from the best man. She laid her face down among the cool, velvety petals and closed her eyes, drinking in the fragrance. Then she lifted each perfect bud and half-blown flower to examine it separately, reveling the sweetness and color. Then the uncomfortable thought occurred to her that she was happier over this gift than she had been over the furs or the long-wished-for ring, and she began to make excuses to herself. Maybe, if I'd always had them sent to me as Lloyd and Betty and all the other girls have, it wouldn't seem such a big thing. But this is the first time. Of course, it doesn't mean anything as it would if he had sent them to Lloyd. He's in love with her. Still, I'm glad he chose roses. She touched the last one to her lips. It was so cool and sweet that she held it there a moment before she slipped out of bed, ran across the room to thrust the long stems into the water pitcher. She would ask the maid for a more fitting receptacle after a while, but in the meantime she'd keep them as fresh as possible. When she went down to breakfast, she wore one thrust in her belt, and some of its color seemed to have found its way onto her cheeks when she thanked Phil for his gift. The same rose was pinned on her coat when, later in the morning, they went to a Christmas service at St. Boniface, the little stone church in the village, a mile away. Eugenia suggested their going. She said it would be such a picture with the snow on its ivory-covered belfry and the icicles hanging from the eaves. Some noted singer was to be in the choir and would sing several solos. The walking would be fine through the dry, crunching snow, and as they had right-of-way through all of the neighboring estates between them and the village, it would be like going through an English park. Stuart had an urgent round of professional visits to make and could not join them, and at the last moment some message came from the orphanage in reference to the tree, which kept Eugenia at home to make some alteration in her plan. So when the time came to start, only the four guests set out across the snowy lane down the woodland path leading to the village. They went Indian file at first in order that Phil might make a trail through the snow until they reached the beaten path. It was colder than they had expected to find it and presently Mary dropped back to the rear, so she might hold her muff up, unobserved, to shield the rose she wore. 
she could not bear to have its lovely petals take on a dark purplish tinge at the edges where the frost curled them in the church the steam-heated atmosphere brought out its fragrance till it was almost overpoweringly sweet but when she glanced down she saw that it was no longer crisp and glowing it had wilted in the sudden change and hung limp and dying on, on its stem i'll put it away in an envelope when i get back to the house thought mary when they all fade i'll save the leaves and make potpourri out of them like we made at eugenia's reading roses and put them away in my little japanese rose jar to keep always then the music began and she entered heartily into this beautiful christmas service the offering was to be divided among the various charities of the parish it had been announced and mary remembering the bright new quarter in her purse was glad she had earned that bit of silver herself it made so much more of a personal offering than if she had saved it from her allowance she slipped the purse out of her jacket pocket as the prelude of the offertory filled the aisles and rose to the arches of the vaulted roof the man who carried the plate was slowly making his way towards the pew in which she sat and with her gaze fixed on him she began fumbling with the clasp of her purse under cover of her muff she had never seen such a rubicund portly gentleman with two jumbled chins and an expansive bald spot on his crown she held the coin between her fingers awaiting his slow approach just as he reached the end of their pew where phil was sitting she sneezed not a loud sneeze but one whose inward convulsions that made the whole body twitch spasmodically it sent a handful of petals from the wilted rose showering down into her lap the coin dropped back into her purse she had made an extensive grab to save them from going to the floor then blushing and embarrassed as the plate paused in front of her she fumbled desperately in her purse to regain the dropped quarter the instant the coin left her fingers she saw the mistake she had made and reached out her hand as if to snatch it back but it was too late even if she had the courage to reclaim it she had dropped her english shilling into the plate instead of the quarter her precious talesman from the bride's cake that she had carried as a pocket piece ever since eugenia's wedding betty who sat next to her was the only one who saw her confusion and her sudden movement towards the plate after it passed she glanced at her curiously wondering at her agitation but the next moment forgot it in listening to the wonderful voice that took up the solo the solo as far as mary was concerned might have been a siren whistle or a steam colope she was watching the man of the bald head and the double chins who had walked off with her shilling down the central aisle went the pompous gentleman at last in company with two others and the three plates were received by the rector and blessed and deposited on the altar all in the most deliberate fashion while mary twisted her fingers and thought of desperate but impossible plans to rescue her shilling if she had been alone she would have hurried to the front at the close of service and watched to see what became of the custodian of the alms then she could have pounced on him begged to be allowed to rectify her mistake but phil and the girls would think she had lost her mind if they should see her do such a thing unless she explained to them somehow she shrank from letting anybody know how highly she valued that shilling all at once she had grown self-conscious she had not known herself just how much she cared for it until it was gone beyond recall aside from the sentiment for which she had cherished it she had a superstitious feeling that her fate was bound up with it in such a way that the gods would cease to be propitious if she lost the talesman that influenced them no feasible plan occurred to her however the choir passed out in slow recessional the congregation as slowly followed mary loitered as long as possible even going back for her handkerchief which she had purposely dropped in the pew to give her an excuse to return but her anxious glances revealed nothing the vestry door was closed and nobody was inside the chancel rail as they passed down the steps phil turned to glance at the small bulletin board outside the door 
on which the hours of the service were printed in gilt letters. Dudley Eames, rector. He read in a low tone, Strange, I never can remember that man's name. When Stuart is always quoting him, they are both great golf players and were eternally making engagements with each other over the phone. When I was here last summer, I heard it often enough to remember it, I'm sure. He did not see the expression of relief which his remark brought to Mary's face and held a suggestion which she resolved to act upon as soon as she could find the opportunity. She would telephone to the rector about it. End of chapter 8 Recording by Christina Maria Wendt